You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Well, this morning we are going to return to a familiar topic for me. It's prayer. I often say that I think the Lord just snickers every time I preach on prayer because I'm not a natural prayer guy. I often like to confess right up front I'm fiercely independent by nature. Some of you heard me say that uh, some of you have been on webcasts and read books and things that we've done, but uh, it's really true. I could be stranded on a desert island for a week and never realize I'm the only one there. I would be having so much fun entertaining myself, climbing trees, collecting coconuts, you know, looking for natives, and suddenly realize, hey, where is everybody, right? You can ask my wife. Poor lady, pray for her. Let's pause and pray for her right now. Yeah. Uh, what a sweet gal. Great is her reward in heaven. I always say I'm going to have to have a special pass to visit her mansion in heaven because I'll be down in the preacher's slum. You know, she'll be up in the pastor's wives' luxury uh, suites. But, uh, but prayer is depending on God, right? And uh, it is a work of God's grace that I would even stand here today. And I only tell you that because if there's any hope for me, you're in great shape, I promise you. God can do a great work in your heart in prayer, and we expect him to do it. But because we've had such a great partnership in terms of uh, books and small group studies and, and webcasts, things like that, uh, you'll hear me repeat some things. And that's not because I'm getting old and I don't remember. It's because I want you to hear it again, right? And I admit it, my age, you do get old. My, my brother-in-law, you get forgetful too. My, what's my name? No, I'm teasing. My brother-in-law, I'm also ADD. You'll notice that, right? I'm just off on different things. But my brother-in-law told me a great story the other day about these older couples who developed a rich friendship and hung out together. And one night, they all went to uh, one of the homes, and all the men gathered, as typically happens in the living room, all the women in the kitchen. And the men were chatting it up, and one of the men said, you know, last night we went to this great restaurant. I've heard all about it. We've never been. The, the, the ambiance was just so phenomenal and beautiful, and the menu just full of great options, and the service was so extraordinary, and the food was out of this world. Man, we got to go back. It was so good. So one of his buddies said, well, what was the name of it? And he was stumped. He couldn't remember. He thought, he thought, he thought. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. What do you call that beautiful flower with these petals and a long stem and thorns? What do you call that? Rose, yeah. So he yelled to the kitchen, hey, Rose, Rose, what was the name of that, what was the name of that restaurant we went to last night? <laughs> Some days it's that bad, right? So uh, I want you to take your Bible and actually, we're going to look at two verses real quick. Uh, the first verse is not really our text. The second one will be. Turn to 2 Peter real quickly, chapter 1. I want you to see something because I think in ministry, this is an important thing for all of us. Uh, there are some things we just can't forget. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 uh, through 15. Here's what Peter said. Uh, he was an old guy, all right? He was an old guy writing. And here's what he said, I think it right, in chapter 1, verse 13 of 2 Peter, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. To stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body, a.k.a. my death, will be soon as our Lord Jesus has made it clear to me. Now, that is not my life's first right now, okay? I'm hoping to get a few more years out of this journey, but he knew this time was coming. And he said, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Isn't that powerful? It's not what we hear. It's what we really learn to the point that we have instant recall. It becomes a part of our lives, right? And Peter was wanting to leave this legacy of truth in these people. And 
I'd often say an inheritance is what you leave for people, a legacy is what you leave in them. And he was wanting to leave a legacy in these people. And, and I guess, in, in, the, in the, the, the humor of God, uh, he has called me to seek to leave a legacy of life-giving, scripture-fed, spirit-led, worship-based prayer in the hearts of people. So that's my desire today, and I'm going to reiterate some things that some of you have heard, some of you haven't, uh, but uh, I would tell you honestly, it burns in my heart as hot today as it did the first time I began to discover these truths, and so like Peter, I'm not just forgetful, I'm trying to be intentional, all right? So to that degree, and to that end, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 11? Luke chapter 11, our message today is titled, The Answer That Changes Everything. The answer that changes everything. Luke chapter 11, we'll be walking through verses 1 through 13 as we do this and uh, just unpacking this text uh, verse by verse as we go, okay? You know, what I love about the Christian life is there are limitless opportunities for growth. Isn't it amazing? I, I mean, there is no limit to what God can do in our lives, and the reason for that is, is very clear. The Bible says, for example, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3, that in Christ are hidden, some of you know this verse, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wow. How much is that? How much is available to us to grow, to change? In fact, John, as he wrapped up his gospel, he said, if all the things Christ said could be written, all the books of the world could not contain it all. Or we could say all the hard drives that have ever been created could not even have the capacity to contain the riches and the wisdom of Jesus Christ. It's been said, if you're not learning, you're not growing. If you're not growing, you're not living. Wow, what potential to live we have in Jesus. Amen? And so let me ask you, With all that in mind, if you could ask Jesus for just one thing out of this treasury of all that we have in him, what would it be? Just one thing. What would it be? Or maybe said a different way, if you could ask him to teach you just one thing, what would it be? Well, today we're going to enter a text where we see the disciples actually asking him to teach them something, the only thing we ever have a record of them asking him to teach them to do. And I'm sure you can figure out what the answer is, right? Pray. People always say, Henderson, we ask a question. The answer is either Jesus or pray. We got you figured out, right? So uh, I guess both. It's Jesus and pray today. And we're going to see this in the text. Now, I often say that prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. Say that with me. Prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. When I don't pray, I'm basically saying, Lord, uh, thanks for this day. I'm okay on my own. If I run into trouble, I'll give you a call. (laughs) And the Lord says, no, that's not how you do it. But what is prayer? You know, if I were to ask you to take a survey, what is prayer? Some would say it's telling God whatever's on my mind. Prayer is asking his blessing on the food. I haven't really figured that out. Bless the food. You know, what's it going to do? Glow in the dark now or something? Or actually more nutrition, you know? Or, or prayer is saying my good night thing before I hit the hay. Or it's, you know, asking for a parking space at the mall. I love this definition. It's given by Alvin Reed, who's a uh, professor Uh, south of the border here, and he says it this way. He says, prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. 
Let me say that again. Intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. As I have looked at the prayer life of Jesus, as I have looked at the prayer lives of the disciples, as I have evaluated what I've seen in my pastoral journey in terms of the impact of prayer, I think that captures it so well. It is being intimate with God, abiding in him, so that what? So that I can join him in the fulfillment of his purposes, and he can work through me to glorify his name. And what is Christianity without that? It's just an empty shell with a paint job of words, right? But when we understand intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes, we have dialed in to that which Jesus so wanted his disciples to understand and which in this text they so desired to know and experience. So I want us to look at this. We're going to begin. We have a very simple outline. We're going to begin with a, a glance at this earnest appeal from the, these, these disciples concerning prayer. Pick up with me in verse 1. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. We don't know exactly where. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, what? Teach us to pray. As John, referring to John the Baptist, also taught his disciples. Now, we don't know a lot about what they were referencing there, but clearly uh, John had, had instructed his disciples concerning prayer, and I would suggest based on his encounters with Jesus. But now they're saying, Lord, would you teach us to pray, not only as we've seen, but as we're watching you. Notice that's what motivated them. It was really Christ's example. It wasn't reading a book on prayer or watching a video on prayer. It was watching Jesus pray. It spurred them to say, teach us. And by the way, this is our ultimate motivation. You say, why should I come to the prayer meeting on the 17th? Because Jesus prayed. <laughs> he prayed by himself and he prayed with his disciples, took them up the mountain to pray, took them to the garden to pray, prayed with them here in Luke chapter 11. Jesus prayed. Now, let me tell you something that has really helped me. Don't write it down because your pen will start smoking, okay? But just listen. There's a sense in which Jesus was the only one who ever walked the earth but didn't really need to pray but did in order to help those of us who do need to pray but don't learn how to do it. Go ahead and repeat that back. I didn't think so. Let me say it again. There's a sense in which Jesus was the only one who ever walked the earth and didn't need to pray but did in order to help those of us who do need to pray but don't learn how to do it. In other words, he was fully God and fully man. That's good theology, right? Fully God. He didn't need to pray. He, he was God. He was in constant communion with his father, perfect intimacy, but he was also fully man. So when you look at his life and how he prayed, that's the standard. Not Daniel Henderson, not Robbie Simons, George Scher. The standard is Jesus Christ. So how did Jesus pray? Oh, wow. He got up early in the morning. He prayed. He was always communing with the father, prayed before ministry, during ministry, after ministry, stayed up all night and prayed. I don't know about you. I think I need to pray more than Jesus did, Right? Because I'm definitely not fully God. Ask my wife. And neither are you. So we need to pray. So Jesus' example motivates us to pray. I work with pastors all across North America who want to see prayer in their churches. And a lot of them are looking for programs, books, sermons, plug-and-play strategies. And, and they're frustrated. And I say to them, you know, this is really simple. You want to pray in church? You pray. <laughs> you pray. And invite people to join you. That's what's beautiful about your leadership here. They pray. And on the 17th, they say, join us, will you? Let's learn to pray together. Hear our hearts. Let's pour out our hearts to God. Let's sense what the Lord is doing among us. And, and that is vital to our praying. 
And so two things here, real quickly. We must be taught to pray. It's not automatic. That's one thing we've got to realize. We've got to learn how to pray. Even Paul said, I don't know how to pray. And of course, ultimately, the Holy Spirit teaches us. But one of the things you realize in the early church is that they learned to pray by praying together. Now, uh, one of my favorite pastors says this. I've quoted him all around the country. He says, prayer is the easiest and hardest thing we do. That pastor's name is Robbie Simons. I've been quoting him everywhere I go. It's the easiest. Why? Well, because instinctively we know we need to pray hard. Why? Because the devil hates it, right? Our flesh opposes it. Our world distracts us away from it. And, and as I often say, one of the reasons is because we all have negative perceptions based upon tradition. Now, some of you didn't grow up in the church, and maybe that's good because you don't have to unlearn something. But for many of us, we have to unlearn things. And some of you have been on our webinars have heard me tell this story, and I love to tell it. Uh, it's an opportunity to exercise one of my spiritual gifts of sarcasm. It's found in the book of 2 Daniel. Uh, I'm still working on, but uh, I, I, when I was a kid, I had a drug problem. George, I, you know about this, right? Uh, my parents drugged me to an old-fashioned Wednesday night prayer meeting every week of my life, and that thing was painful, man. Uh, we would show up at 7 o'clock, and uh, we would sing a bunch of stodgy songs that felt like sanctified versions of 99 bottles of beer on the wall. Man, they just went on and on and on. And then some dude gave a devotion that had nothing to do with prayer. He threw it together in his pickup truck on the way there. And then came the dreaded question, and you know what the dreaded question is, what? Does anybody have any? Prayer requests. And man, we pulled out our yellow pads and our blue big pens, and we were loaded for bear. And it went on and on and on and on. And pretty soon gossip got in there. I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Found out that Deacon Bill ran off with Matilda, the organ player, and his son's a drug addict, and his daughter's pregnant out of wedlock, and his dog has ADD. I'm thinking, wow, this is an exciting prayer meeting. So we go on. You know, 45 minutes into this, I'm thinking everybody in the country's got an ingrown toenail, a slip disc, a friend in financial crisis, a buddy traveling to Wichita, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm so depressed, I don't feel like praying. <laughs> right? You've been, you've been to those meetings, haven't you, some of you? And so then some genius looks at his watch and said, oh, we're almost out of time. We better pray. I thought, well, this was false advertising. We haven't even prayed yet. You advertise it as a prayer meeting. In business, you'd get arrested for this stuff, Right? And so we get our chairs in these little circles, and everybody gathers around with their yellow pads, and then we engage in what, this is my gift of sarcasm, we, we affectionately call the banal bless be with syndrome. Because if you listen carefully, they have to mention every request. Lord, bless this, bless that, be with him, be with this. Bless, be a bless, be a bless, be a bless, be a bless. See, next week we'll see you for prayer meeting. I'm thinking, oh, God, help me. I want to stay home and watch Hogan's Heroes. This thing was miserable, right? So when someone announces a prayer meeting, you say, hey, nada, no, not me, baby. It's been said the reason most people don't go to prayer meetings at their church is because they've been to prayer meetings at their church, right? <laughs> so some of you are just not feeling motivated to say, Lord, teach me to pray. The devil doesn't want you to have that desire. Your flesh doesn't want it. The world distracts you, and tradition just kind of repels you. But we need to have this desire to learn, to grow. And I would say the best way we learn to pray is by praying with others. In fact, D.A. Carson says the way we learn to pray is by listening to those around us. And in the early church, they learned to pray by praying. They've learned to pray. They're motivated to pray by watching Jesus' life, hearing him pray. And God wants to teach us. So in response, Jesus gives what we now call a biblical approach to prayer. A biblical approach to prayer. 
you know, we're so great at coming up with other approaches. You know, I, I've, I've used over the years the axe model, the fax model, the tracks model, the slacks model, the smacks model. I mean, the ad infinitum ad nauseum. We all got to create some new model and, you know, it's got to spell something and, you know, have some special nuance to it. But I would suggest to you that what we're going to see here, Jesus said, pray like this. That was not a suggestion. In the Matthew version, Sermon on the Mount, he said, pray this way. It's not just a good idea. It is a command. So quit being so creative and try to kind of come up with some new nuance. What Jesus said works. So let's dial into it as passionately and clearly and consistently as we can. He said, pray like this. Why? Because he has your best intentions at heart. And he has God's glory in mind. And he wants to do something extraordinary if we can align ourselves with what he has in mind. So picking up in verse 2, he said to them, when you pray, say. In Matthew's version, when you pray, pray this way. Now, now keep in mind, this is not just quoting the prayer. I mean, people who've never met Jesus can quote the prayer. When I was in high school, our secular uh, high school football team, we would quote the Lord's Prayer before every game in the locker room. And for most of those guys, it was like rubbing the, you know, the, the genie bottle. Because after the game, they went out and got drunk. I'm thinking, I don't think they understood what that prayer meant, right? So it's not just quoting it. It's experiencing it. So he says in Luke's version, Father, hallowed be your name. Matthew, of course, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Matthew's version, your will be done. Give us each day our daily bread. And then forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but as you know, Matthew's version delivers from evil. So Jesus, as best as we can tell, in two different environments, gave the same pattern using different words. Because again, the focus isn't the exact words, it's the reality that the words capture. And so I want to give you... And some of you who have done the reading and the seminars will know this, and so I'm repeating on purpose because unless we're doing it again, we haven't got it, right? I want to give you the essence of this prayer. Now, let me say, first of all, there are two parts to the prayer. Fundamentally, the first half is all Godward. The second half is all manward. I don't know if you ever thought about that or not. But everything in the first part of the prayer is all Godward. Our Father out in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's all thy, 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 God, 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 right? We haven't gotten to us yet. Second part of the prayer is about us, our needs, daily bread, relationships, temptation, struggle. So I often say in its simplest form, this prayer is all about the fact, and I said it last year, he's worthy and we are needy, right? That's the rhythm of prayer. Every time you think of praying, just breathe that out. Lord, you are worthy. I am needy. So let me now begin with your worthiness, and then let me trust you with my neediness. But Jesus really breaks it down into a little more detail, and I want you to see this, okay? So there's going to be a graphic on the screen, and I'm not trying to be clever. It just became a way for me to capture the essence of this prayer. As a senior pastor for 25 years, I taught on this, you know, 10-week series, Hebrew background, Greek meanings, threw in a, an Italian coffee shop, a French pastry, just trying to make it interesting, you know. And, and people walked away with lots of notes, but it still didn't change their life until the simplicity of this hit me one day. Now, the way I frame this, I have a musical background. So uh, I will remember, some of you know, the basic 4-4 pattern of music, right? And that's what this graphic looks like. And the way I describe it in this context, it starts upward, then downward, then inward, then outward. So 
Sunday morning calisthenics. I want you to do that with me, all right? I know your pen is smoking already there, but let's do this. Ready? Upward, downward, inward, outward. Again, upward, downward, inward, outward. All right, those of you with the Catholic background, you're thinking you stole that from us, but I really didn't, okay? It just, it's the music thing came to my mind. So let me break this down. And I will tell you, personally, this has transformed my life. And I have seen this understanding transform the prayer lives of so many people, not because I told them, because it just is a way to make sense of what Jesus is saying here. It's almost as if I have this 4-4 thing on my bifocals. And every time I look at a text, I, I just see it come out. It's, it's like an overlay on every passage of Scripture that helps you pray. So it begins upward with reverence, I call it. These all start with R because I went to seminary, got that brain damage that comes from those years of study, but it's just the way we communicate, all right? Starts upward with reverence. You know the prayer here in Luke? It what? Our Father in heaven, right? But in Matthew, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father who is so intimate with us, who is in heaven, he's transcendent, he's in charge. Hallowed be thy name, his name is his character. So now we have entered into a worship of the fullness of the character of God. You say, how do I do that? Well, I suggest to you the best way to do that is from God's own word. The be- every personal prayer time I have, every prayer meeting I lead begins with these words. Let's open our Bible. Let's open our Bible. Have you ever noticed whoever starts a conversation tends to guide the conversation, right? And when it comes to prayer, I would suggest let God start the conversation and let him now guide the conversation. Because by the way, you don't need to tell him about anything. He knows what you were going to say before you said it, right? You don't need to inform him. I think he needs to inform us. We need to get on his wavelength when we pray. And the best way to do that is from the word of God. It was... um, George Mueller, who ministered in England, a great man of faith, who wrote in his own autobiography, he said, for years I tried to pray without starting in the Bible and my mind wandered. Survey, how many of you, your mind has ever wandered in prayer? Let's see your hands. All right, the rest of you, your mind's wandering now. You don't know what I asked. Just raise your hand anyway, all right? So that happens. All right, come back with it. We're back, all right? But then Mueller said, he said, but once I started praying from the book, I was able to pray effectively for years. I love praying from the Bible. For years I used to start prayer meetings, let's all just pray as we feel led, right? And that gets lost in translation, because what people hear, just pray whatever comes to your mind. And pretty soon, man, this thing is all over the map. You know, we're praying for our dogs and our cats and the politicians. It has nothing to do with God's purposes. It's just like a data dump of random thinking. Or you get some people who are very articulate, and they all go off on a 10-minute King James diatribe. Oh, fathers, goddess, da-da-da-da-da-da. Man, they're just, you know, shaking the rafters of heaven. And after they're done, it's dead silence. Three reasons for that, by the way. Number one, a third of the crowd fell asleep. The other third is trying to interpret what they just said. And the other third is so intimidated, they're not praying next. (laughs) That happens to me. I'll be honest, George, you've been in prayer meetings this weekend. Some dudes, man, they know how to pray. I wasn't going to pray next. I mean, I couldn't pray like that. I mean, they're just full of the power of God. And I was going to say, Jesus, you know, I love you and help me. And, you know, (laughs) why would I pray after that? Feel kind of stupid, right? So here's the deal. When you pray from the Bible, when you pray from the Bible, it levels the praying ground. It keeps the long-winded people from hijacking the deal. And it allows shy people to have language. 
to simply say what God's already said. It's a beautiful way to pray. So pray from the scripture, thoughts about God. And that's where it begins, our Father art in heaven. And the best way to do that is not just to make up stuff, just pray the Bible back to him about what he's already told us about himself. But now in this, this worthy, he is worthy thing, there's a second movement. It's that downward thing of response. Because worship is the response of all I am to the revelation of all he is. It's not worship now until I have responded to his character. And that's why this next part says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Henderson jargon, it's like me saying, Lord, I'm trading in now my thoughts, my requests, my ideas, my will, my purposes for yours. If you're really God like I've just said you are, then, then I need to empty myself of myself and let you fill me totally with you before I even start thinking about what to pray about. So it starts with reverence and response. And again, I would suggest to you the Word of God is going to reveal these things. Because what is the Word of God? It's living, powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So I, I open my heart to God, and I seek purity and alignment and confession and obedience to His will. And I often say, I don't think we even know what to pray about. I know this sounds radical or even how to pray about it, until we have worshiped well and surrendered completely. Because now we're on praying ground. And that's why Jesus said, start here. Start here. Don't just blow into my presence tell me what's on your mind. Again, most of us think that prayer is coming to God, informing him about what he needs to do today in order to structure the universe according to my specifications for a happy and comfortable life. That's not prayer. Prayer is worship. And full surrender and yieldedness. Now I'm praying in the Spirit. I'm praying in the realm of the Spirit. Now I'm praying in Jesus' name, which has nothing to do with three words you tack on to the end of whatever you said. It has to do with praying the way Jesus said to pray, praying the way Jesus would pray, praying consistent with his character. That's why he says, start in reverence and then move to response. And now you're ready to start talking about your needs, right? So then it moves into requests. Give us this day our daily bread, right? And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Let me stutter here just for a moment on my R's. You say, man, how many R's can you use here, right? But under this idea of request are two thoughts, resources and relationships. Say that with me, resources and relationships. Our daily bread, those are what kind of needs? Resource needs, aren't they? And obviously it's much more complex today than it was back then, but the prayer is simply, Lord, give us what we need today to get through. And that could be physical health, it could be healing, it could be a job, it could be wisdom, it could be direction, it could be support for the missionaries. There's a whole variety of things that are resource needs we need today. We're trusting God for these now, with his will in mind, with his character in mind, with great faith now because we began in worship. But then there's relationship needs. Forgive us our debts because we've forgiven our debtors. It's the idea that, Lord, now... How do my relationships reflect your forgiveness, your love, your character? I need to pray for my kids, my family, my friends, uh, my marriage. Every prayer list you've ever seen, this is kind of radical. It's either resource needs or relationship needs. There really are no other categories on any prayer list. That's the genius of Jesus, isn't it? So wouldn't it be great if you could just, you know, I often say be a Harvest Bible oh, uh, monk, you know, 
Pastor Robbie pays you to show up here every, every day, put your robe on, swing your incense, walk around, you know, chanting, glowing in the dark, you know, dripping Shekinah juice, and man, isn't that guy holy? That doesn't work. That's not real life, is it? Because after you have done this, now you have to get off your knees and into battle. And notice this last part of the phrase. It's anticipatory. I call it readiness. Readiness for what? Ready for war. We're in a battle zone, friends. We don't want to be casualties. And so one of the, the great purposes of prayer is to get us battle ready. And notice what he says now. Lead us not into temptation. In other words, don't get us stuck in it. That's literally the idea. Take us through it and deliver us, as I often say, from email. <laughs> That's kind of the modern day struggle, isn't it? Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Matthew's version, it, it finishes up with this great benediction, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, which is really the purpose of all prayer anyway, right? But readiness for battle. By the way, that's the beauty out of praying for God's word, from God's word. How do you get battle ready? You know, you, you know, sit and breathe and get real you know, macho about it, or you say, I bind you, Satan, ten times? No. You fill your mind with the word of God so that in an instant you can take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the spoken word of God, just like Jesus did in, in, in the wilderness. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. You see, Bible memorization, Bible study, we often think is one corner and prayer is the other corner. No, it's all one relationship. And so as we pray from the word, we reverence God, we respond to him, we trust him with our needs, and then we get battle ready. Jesus said, pray this way, quit freelancing. Don't just do what you did traditionally. Start this way. Reverence, response, request, readiness. You can put different words around it, but the pattern is the same. And when the disciples said, teach us to pray, Jesus said, this is how you do it. And may God help us all tomorrow morning as we begin time with him tonight as we pray. Whatever the case is, help us. Now, real quickly, we're going to move through this fast. Jesus gives a practical assurance in prayer in verse 5 through 12, okay? Pick up with me. He said to them in verse 5, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him and he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot give up, get up and give you anything. So summary of that. We had some out-of-town company. We don't have any food. Can you loan me some? The guy in his house, by the way, it was not a five-bedroom house with a swimming pool and jacuzzi in the backyard. These were one-bedroom homes. He's there with his whole family in the room. He's saying, man, I can't wake my whole family up to fetch you some bread. Notice what Jesus says. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, uh, easier translation there is persistence, persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And so here's the point of the story in verse 9. I tell you, ask, literally in the Greek, keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Now, we can't pull those promises out of context, okay? We're really good at that. We'll claim that verse and say, you know, I've been up all night pounding heaven's gates for a Broncos win, right? I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind, okay? So what did he have in mind? I'm glad you asked. Hold that thought. All right, we'll come back to it. Because now he gives another illustration. Verse 11, what father among you now? This is a fathering illustration. We saw a friendship illustration, now a fathering illustration. 
What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, uh, uh, instead of a fish, will you give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? We've had uh, my middle son, his wife, and their three kids living with us for a year. It's been a blast, communal experience uh, most of the time. Uh, and this past Christmas, our five-year-old granddaughter, Annie, who's just a kick, she was obsessed with nutcrackers. She wanted to go see the nutcracker. You got the nutcracker in Canada? Yeah, I figured it probably started up here. I don't know. But uh, anyway, then it started in Europe. A nutcracker. So, man, we were researching, you know, can you imagine if we got in the car and drove up and I said, Annie, here we are, but instead of the Nutcracker, I decided to buy us all tickets to the Revenant movie. And we're going to go in here and we're going to watch blood and guts and violence and a bear maul this guy and hatred and revenge and murder. You're going to love it, Annie. And my wife will say, buddy, you're going to jail. You're out of your mind, right? And she should. Because what grandfather would do that? Are you kidding? It makes me cry almost. We went to, I've never cried over Nutcracker, but we went to Nutcracker, and Annie's face just lit up. She loved it. All the way home, she's reading the program. I remember that person and that person. Can we go to a different Nutcracker every year, Poppy? Oh, man, that's the heart of being a Poppy. You love it. Jesus is saying, if you, as evil as you are, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give? How much more? I love that new worship song, You're a Good, Good Father. It's who you are. And so, what's the point of this then? What are we asking for? What are we seeking? Well, what's this knocking all about? Great question. Let's look at verse 13 as we close. Here's the ultimate answer to prayer. It's the answer that changes everything. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give what? Say it with me again. One more time. The Holy Spirit. That's the subject matter. The Holy Spirit. To those who ask Him. To those who ask Him. I would say to you there is an initial reality to this prayer when for the very first time someone recognizes my life is dirty, my life is sinful, I am lost, I am hopeless, I am broken, I have no answers, I will never be religious enough to have a relationship with God, I'll never be good enough, I can't try enough, and I need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Father delights to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Can you imagine a dirty, sinful life suddenly being filled with the presence of a holy God? How can that happen? Well, 2,000 years ago, Jesus took all your sin upon himself so that you, by trusting in his finished work, can be a brand new person. And actually, we're going to pause right now, and I want to pray with some of you who may be here today. And you are broken, and you are dirty, and you are hopeless, and you don't know what's next. And today, I want to tell you, the Father delights to give the Spirit to those who ask. And so would you bow with me just for a moment? And I believe there's some of you here today who right now, you know this is your greatest need. You're tired of empty religion. You're tired of trying in your own goodness. And you know that you need something supernatural. And so, Lord, I pray right now for those who are here, and if this is their need, that right now they would see Jesus. 
And they would understand that he lives as the risen Lord to give them new life. And that because of what he did on the cross by giving his life, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of their sin, their empty and darkened heart can now become a dwelling place of a holy God in intimate relationship that now will lead them to the fulfillment of your purposes for their life. So give them forgiveness, grace, strength, truth, and a new beginning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not done yet, so just stand there. All right? I, I, threw, I threw him a curve. This is great. So I might use you as an illustration or something. This is dangerous. Okay, so if you were here today and you prayed that prayer, as Pastor Robbie says, tell somebody. Pastors will be here afterwards. Tell somebody we want to celebrate your new life. Now, let's move on quickly. But there is the continual reality of this prayer, right? The Father delights to give the Holy Spirit, not just for those who the first time asked for, but those who are continually asking. And here's the idea. He wants to give the Holy Spirit to us. And so here's a thought. You're going to see it on the screen that just strikes me so powerfully in these days, and it is simply this, that what we understand, the ultimate answer to prayer is the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he is the how-to of the Christian life. He doesn't just help us with our how-to. He is the how-to. You look at the early church and how they prayed so fervently. You think about that? And today I fly to, to Cuba where they pray so fervently. I've been in China in recent years where they pray so fervently. What's the difference? Well, the early church, these Cubans, these people in China, they actually believe that the Holy Spirit is the how-to. Here's our problem. We got way too many other how-tos, don't we? I mean, honestly, I thought in my mind, I hate to be so honest, but I thought in my mind, why should I pray for 30 minutes when I can Google an answer in three seconds? Right? I have a smartphone in my office. I didn't bring it with me, but uh, I don't have an office here. I'm not moving in, Robbie. But uh, in my bag back there, uh, I have a smartphone. And on that smartphone, there's all kinds of apps. And let's be honest, sometimes we view the Holy Spirit like an app. If we need his help, we'll just put up the Holy Spirit app and give me this, give me that. Uh, friends, the reality, the Holy Spirit is the operating system. He is the operating system. Now, what can be dangerous, we talk about the Holy Spirit, and like Jim Symbolist says, you know, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, churches are either cemeteries or insane asylums, right? They're either so dead and afraid of this Holy Spirit thing, they feel they're going to start rolling the aisle and foaming at the mouth, you know, and all that stuff. And as I often say, that's rabies, that's not the Holy Spirit, so call a doctor, right? But on the other hand, uh, they do crazy things that have nothing to do with the Bible, and they blame the Holy Spirit for it, so we feel confused. But I want to tell you, friends, Jesus said the Holy Spirit is the answer to your asking, your seeking, and your knocking. And let me give you just a cliff note summary of who he is and what he wants to do in your life today. The Bible tells us that he is the spirit of God himself. He is the spirit of the Lord. He is the spirit of Jesus Christ. He's the very presence of our Lord and Savior in our lives. He is called the spirit of life. He is our life. He's the author of Scripture. He wrote this book that you hold in your hand. And now we find that he's the revealer of truth. He gives us guidance. He gives us direction. He is our teacher. The Bible tells us that he indwells us permanently, and he has put the seal of God on our lives until the day of eternity, the day of redemption. He convicts us of sin. He comforts us. He's our counselor. He is our intercessor. He teaches us how to pray. He is God's witness to us that we are his children. He's also God's witness through us so that we can produce other children. 
He's our power to witness. He's our unity. He is our love. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the what? The Holy Spirit. It's how we experience this love. And what Jesus said in John 14, just 16, 14 rather, he, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We need the Holy Spirit so that everything in us, about us, is all about the glory of Jesus. We can't do that by ourselves, right? Oh, how we need the Holy Spirit. And you're here today and you're broken, you're discouraged, you're depressed, your marriage is struggling, your kids are wondering. And oh yes, God knows all about that. But you know what he wants to do? He wants to give you the ultimate answer. And that is the power of his Holy Spirit in your life, in your situation, in order to meet the deepest needs of your journey. I've been meditating recently on Charles Spurgeon, who every time he got up to preach, he was a great preacher in England called the Prince of Preachers. He would walk up those steps over a dozen steps and it's been said with every step as he walked, he said, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I think today some of you in your hearts, you're feeling that resonating, oh, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Yes, my kids are messed up. My, my future's uncertain. My spirit is downcast, but I need the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, keep on asking Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. You have a good father who wants to give you the very power of his presence in your life. And he needs all of you so that all of him can be manifest. George and I were driving here today and he reminded me of this great passage. Unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. According to the, some of you know this verse, the power that works where? In you. In you. Turn to your neighbors. That's you. Tell them. It works in you. Yeah. Don't shortchange. It works in you. So now the Father wants to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask.